0: to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be. Welcome to the CyberTraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principal and author of the book School X: How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education.
1: Greetings everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York, and the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0: Raising Cyber Ethical Kids and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and the misuse of digital devices.
0: Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or donate to our work, please visit Cyberethics.org.
1: It is our pleasure to announce that the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for CyberEthics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute, dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Greetings there, Jethro. Good Thursday to you, Fred. It is a pleasure to chat with you again.
0: You too. I am excited about our guest today. We are interviewing someone else from Drip7. And the cool thing is, is that I didn't realize she worked for Drip7 when I invited her to the podcast, so (laughs) that was kind of cool. This is uh, Tara Anderson. She is the VP at Drip7, the microlearning platform for cybersecurity, and she's been instrumental in increasing the revenue of some of the largest and most prestigious corporations in the world while mitigating cyber and compliance risk. She is passionate about risk management, cybersecurity, behavior design, and education. And snapshots of her contributions can be found on IBM TV World Edition, Cyber Talk with Rex Lee and Merle Garrison. Hope I said that name right. KUTV Channel 4 in Utah KSL News Radio and more. Tara, welcome to the Cyber Traps Podcast. Great to have you.
2: Thank you, Jethro. You said that so much cooler than I ever do. So <laughs> I'm gonna have you do my intro here on out. Maybe I'll have you record something for my business card. I'll do it digital and
1: great. Yeah, well, please, what,
2: uh, hang out Tara with me
1: We'll just send you a clip. You
0: can- <laughs> yeah.
2: Press play. That's recorded. <laughs>
0: Press play whenever you want. That'll be good. Well, uh, happy to have you here. Um, as people know, Heather Stratford played an integral part in getting our uh, nonprofit launched, and we're very grateful to her Great. for that. Um, and she's doing some really cool things at Drip7. So that's also uh, very cool uh, and what you're doing there. so. We're going to talk a lot about schools today. And so I think part of the first place where we start is recognizing how data breaches have impacted schools lately, because for a long time, we didn't really think about that at all. And the time that I first started thinking that schools might be a target for something uh, was really just a few years ago, probably about six or seven years ago, when our district got sued by a... I don't know how else to describe this person, but their job essentially consisted of suing school districts for not having ADA compliant websites. And that happened all over the country. Tons of schools had to change what they were doing to be in compliance and pay fines because they were caught with, with that happening. Um, But I think a lot of people in education thought we were probably safe because we don't, you know, we're not some startup or we don't, Financial institution, we don't have a ton of um, money there that people could be getting, and yet we we found. So, can you talk about how data breaches have impacted schools to start?
2: Absolutely. First of all, I didn't know that that happened. That is uh, yeah. unreal. That that's something I'll have to research. Um, you know, lately, uh, I mean, as in COVID days. You know, twenty twenty, March twenty twenty, the world kind of shut down employers send employees home and school sent students home uh, and faculty home you know at the same time and and with that uh, arose a tremendous amount of opportunity <laughs> we'll just say all of a sudden lots and lots of opportunity for cyber criminals that are actually known to be opportunistic so uh, we kind of created the perfect storm for cyber threats uh, both aimed at government and infrastructure uh, businesses organizations but um, also schools. And I, I understand they're part of government, they're part of critical infrastructure. But I I think I I was more like you thinking that schools, you know, they're pretty safe. You know, they they got small little budgets for things like paper clips and and paste and you know, colored pencils, but you don't really think of the hub of information that's inside of those schools. Um, and, and I think uh the cyber criminals did. <laughs> so uh, as uh, of March 2020, uh, Cybercrime overall ran rampant. You know, it it blew up overnight. In about every thirty seconds, there's some form of cybercrime happening in the United States. um I think in tw- the year 2020, uh, I think there was about 400 attacks against schools, school districts, um, in 40 different states. So most states, 400 attacks, and that made up about 30 percent of the overall uh, cybercrime that was happening in the world at that time. So. Big targets, um, and and I do believe they are after um, information that we didn't even realize was being collected. Mm-hmm. Our income as parents, our addresses, our incomes, our socials. Because a lot of a lot of us will will disclose that information at various points in the school year. Um, some parents, we you know, will fill out applications for for free or reduced lunch. Um, there's donations being made to public schools, so there's check writing, so there's bank accounts. You get kids' socials, bullying reports, grades, um, their their health and wellness. Uh, that's all contained in the school. In addition to that, the private information of the faculty, the staff themselves. So, lots of information, but very little budget. Um, those <laughs> that data wasn't being protected, like it should. Abs-
1: Tara, that's I think that's a great observation. I yeah. you know I've done some lectures with. IT staff and so forth and the tales that they tell are hair raising one thing i'd love to have you comment on though is that it it seems like hackers can go in one of two directions number 1 They can try to exfiltrate information from the school system and use it in some way, you know, particularly as you allude to with identity theft. But an even more efficient route for them is to shut down the school's ability to use its own information through ransomware. And so I'd love to have you comment on that particular threat vector.
2: Absolutely, you know cyber criminals, you know they they attack for various different reasons. Uh, a lot of it's financially driven. you know there's ransomware as a service where you can actually be trained on the dark web to be a cyber criminal, to give you a package, a toll-free number to call if you need help, a toll-free number for your victim to call if, if they need help, you know, and negotiating a ransom. So money can be involved. Um, data can be involved, which we're finding data is much more important right now uh, than, than records and credit card information. Data, like health records, personal identification on the right people is highly valuable. Uh, and then shutting the schools down. It could be like a cause, uh, you know, it could be a group that just wants to be seen or, or pay, put attention to a cause create havoc um, oftentimes they will hijack zoom calls so they'll hijack zoom calls and their motives are, are typically unclear or different it could be like lewd behavior it could be threatening uh, it could just be fun and prank like in nature but for whatever the reason the, the they just want to be seen and, and so their motives are different it's disturbing. Uh, you know, it's, it's disturbing at best when, when those things happen, but at worst, um, it, it's dangerous. So um, there's just so many opportunities for cyber criminals to get in. And, and again, with, with everyone going home overnight, we weren't trained for this. Kids weren't trained for this. Students were trained for this. So, you know, you're on your own. Dev- at first, we were all on our own devices. So as employees, we had our own devices. Typically, our kids used ours. So, you know, if, if you're working at a bank and you're working from home, you give your kid your device to load into their Zoom meeting. At a certain point, you know, the schools began to to release laptops and devices to students chromebooks um so then school provided devices but then that gave more opportunity to to kind of daisy chain into the school's network they had kept them over the summer when we returned them they weren't swept for um for you know anything any malicious uh any malicious malicious malware anything like that oftentimes that was embedded in the devices because kids clicked on stuff parents clicked on stuff and it was the wrong stuff to click on but Who really knew? It was kind of like the Wild West. And and now we're just trying to figure it out and course correct and make better decisions moving forward, protect our schools, protect our kids. And uh, I think that's where we're at right now, just trying to figure out the best means of doing so.
0: Yeah. So one of the interesting things you brought up is this idea of getting to adults through school information because uh, schools don't have much interest in a lot of adult information, but we still collect it by necessity and just as we're collecting information on the students as well. And Absolutely. what could be really interesting is someone targeting a highly affluent school right. system and seeing the parents who live in that community and have much better resources to for someone to steal their identity or to do whatever whatever bad people do and it's interesting because you don't think that that's going to be a problem. But then if you think that a parent is using the same password with their school as they are for their bank or any other things, then you could really get into some challenging situations. And it's not easy for the school to know like how to protect them because that's not really their area of expertise, but it's becoming more important now. But then we also need to teach kids how to be smart about things. I mean, you mentioned kids clicking on things and, and possibly getting malware on their computer. And so how do we help kids know that they need to be security conscious as well when there's already so much for teachers to be teaching kids? Right.
2: No, that's absolutely right. First off, I don't want to be known as giving teachers more things to do.
0: I know, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not one more thing. You know, I strike that from the record. Uh, They they have a lot going on. I mean, they're learning how to teach from home for the first time. A lot of these teachers are highly tenured. You know, they they've been teaching in a a structured classroom for 20, 30 years and then trying to adapt their their teaching style and their curricula to uh, the virtual environment is challenging enough. And, and that doesn't even look at, like, do they have bandwidth issues? Do they have a nice office environment? So they're already very taxed. Uh, and the families are taxed, too. Uh, not to mention we're all highly distracted. Um, you could have several students working from a kitchen table and, and a parent or two in the home trying to, to do their jobs at the same time as well. So everyone is distracted. The dog's barking. And so, you know, there's a lot of sympathy for educators, for parents, even for students. Um, but I think when it comes down to educating the students specifically. Um, and it does start from the faculty level, from, from teachers, and it starts with making it fun and a light lift for teachers, <laughs> you know, it, making it easy, fun for them, and small bits of information. Um, I'm a big fan of micro learning for these purposes. I'm sure we'll talk a, a little bit more about that. But, you know, when, when teachers are logging in, just giving them a little bit of insight, a little bit of more facts, more information while during the course of what they're already doing. And then how it rolls down to kids. Um, I like gamification for this. Uh, And I work for Drip7. So full disclosure, I work for Drip7 because I had a passion for cybersecurity. I had many years in the banking industry. I work for a managed security service provider. Um, I speak about cybersecurity and I love the space. And, and, And then I started looking at how we learn, how we protect ourselves. So I think with kids, it's about gamification. So what I mean by that is, badges, scores, the ability to compete with each other, not making it punitive, you know, they have enough really structured learning of memorize, 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 test, 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 test. And, and I think we're all really burnt out on that. And, and we can have a whole separate conversation about learning styles, you know, how there's so many of them and how maybe our, our overall methods for education might be, you know, a little bit tired, and, and might need to might need some innovation. Uh, but when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, I like Drip7 and what we're doing, but there are other companies that are doing very similar things. Um, Ninjio is an example of a company that, ha- that takes uh, stories from the headlines, uh, breaches, different fun cyber crime stories. Well, they're not fun yet. Takes the, <laughs> takes the stories and then makes them fun by uh, having them acted out through anime or cartoons. So it kind of relates to uh, the student level. Um, the way we're doing with gamification is there's a a leaderboard. It can be anonymized, but you can compete, see where you're, see where you're strong, see where you're weak. Um, But also, you know, to, to, to re uh, retrain, repetition. So every single day, a little bit every day, earn badges, earn certificates. Maybe you can earn a little bit of money at the the PTA store, but um, just making it enjoyable. So it's not such of a, a tough topic. Studies will show you, I think we all feel it, that it's, it's stressful in the world right now. There's, there's just a lot to be worried about and cyber criminals and fear mongers know this, you know, there's a, there's a lot of just fear-based tactics to uh, get inside networks, to get inside homes, to get inside our minds even. And so this is just a way to, to create awareness and keeping it fun. And, and then with the repetition retainable.
1: So Tara, you raise a whole host of really fascinating questions. I think we do want to get into the micro learning and give sure. you a chance to talk a Thanks. little bit about the structure of DRIP 7, but let me put something on the plate for you to kind of um, chew on because there are issues, I think, that are really close to the work that I do. And so one of them is within the context of the school whether or not the gamification raises the potential for cyberbullying or for um, less useful competition among kids. So that's number one. Right. And then number two, to the extent that you have a leaderboard uh, striking the right balance between that kind of collective competition, which can be fun for kids if right you know if if there's some sense of a level playing field but then also runs the risk of invading their privacy you know for instance demonstrating that johnny doesn't understand multiplication um so right. what are your thoughts on those two issues
2: absolutely um uh, first of all i i looked at my score this morning and and i've given out uh, you know free demos to the software to many people in my space and I found a lot of my former coworkers are beating me in certain cyber topics and so it, it did create a little bit of like ha, I'll get you some some fun banter back and forth but understanding that kids can be different there, there's a few things that you, you can do you can do classroom versus classroom um, which takes an aggregate um, so it's Mrs. Smith versus Mr. Jones classroom well, uh, and that is a way to, to anonymize it more and, and spread it out. Um, so it's not punitive on the individual level. First of all, we never want it to be punitive. Like if somebody's struggling in an area, we'll we'll create questions and shape them. So we're giving the answer in the question. And we're I and mean, even when we do give the answer in the question that's okay because they learn it. That's the point, right? It's not about stumping anyone It's about learning it. So if they are kind of stumbling somewhere, we'll just keep giving them very similar questions. And then often with the answer in it, just for the point of retention. Um, but again, you can, you can anonymize it on the leaderboard so people can just pick avatars. Students can pick avatars. It could be classroom versus classroom. It could even be student body, like the third grade versus the principal or the faculty. Um, do something like that. Um, it was some of the schools were doing fun uh, trivia events and that's anonymized as well. And, and it's a mixture of of questions, but at the answers are embedded and the point is just to learn the information, have fun and maybe have some pizza. Uh, so a few different things that you could do, but that's a very good point that the goal really isn't to isolate anyone and say, Jimmy's struggling and, and wow, uh, this teacher really isn't, teaching very well, uh, and something's wrong here, more just continuing to provide more support in certain key topics. And, um, I, I, like, I like the teacher versus faculty thing, but again, the classroom versus classroom, the, the math team versus the science team, um, you know, different things like that seem to be pretty valuable. And, you know, if I get my way, it, it'll be like school against school and it'll, it'll get bigger. Uh, but you know, that would be if it were a perfect world. So. That would be my thoughts on on that topic.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things I appreciate is that you talk about how learning should not be punitive. And what does that mean to you? And how do you help make it so that it's
2: not? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So several years ago, actually in my early 20s, I had a brain injury. And I used to be a VP of a bank at a very young age and, and had a brain injury lost several years of memory and then eventually had to start relearning things myself. And, and I learned that if I felt if I felt judged or looked at, things were harder. <laughs> you know, like things that I knew yesterday I couldn't recall today because I felt like I was being judged in some way. And I also realized in, in that process that I learned better in small doses, that I learned better just a little bit every single day myself. So when I started reading um you know, the the methodology by uh, B.J. Fogg on behavior design or Charles Ebbinghaus. He's a German professor who looks at the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, how we learn, but also how quickly we forget. Um, You know, both, both methodologies point to the same direction of, We learn best in small doses and we forget when we're trying to stuff too much in. And then also, if you bring in any form of fear or when I talk about punitive style learning where you can be chastised for answering incorrectly or there's a lot on the line for getting something right, we are that much more likely to forget it. You know, the way that we're approaching it and um, and not just in cybersecurity, but uh, how we're approaching all kinds of different topics like diversity and diversity and inclusion. Yes, cyber, but also subjects like bullying and anti-harassment. You know, we're looking at those topics as well. It's just better small in the normal course of business repetitively. And and then if you can add some fun into it, people tend to remember that much more.
0: Yeah. You know, when it comes to the topic of diversity, a lot of people are afraid to even engage in that work because they don't want to be judged for their ignorance or not understanding. And this is a primal feeling that goes back to all of us as, you know, five-year-olds first going into our first day of kindergarten. You don't want to be the stupid one in the room. And I I appreciate this approach of not making learning punitive because it just matters so much. And learning is fun. Everybody loves it, but people hate school because it's punitive in school. And Mm -hmm. that's, that shouldn't be the purpose of what we're trying to do with teaching people anything.
2: Absolutely. And just a small segue on that. I had a kiddo that that spent most of uh, last year at home doing distance learning and uh, went back to school this year. And and her biggest concern was being called on for, from her teacher. You know, she missed a big chunk of information. And, and we did our best to keep her, you know, on pace with the classroom, but she still felt highly removed from the social situation of school. Um and so her, her anxiety really rose to the surface when starting school and it wasn't against being bullied or being with other kids. It was my teacher could call on me and that was very fearful for her. So we had to work through that a few different ways, but, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, some post-traumatic stress from many of us being home for, you know, years on end. And I say years plural because we thought it was going to be two weeks. And then it was a school year, and then some of them are still choosing to be home or, or hybrid and haven't been back to school at all. So we're going to have to start looking at ways to, to ease those individuals back to the job, the workforce, and also back into the classrooms.
1: Actually, Tara, I believe that to be true, honestly, across the population spectrum. You know, I think we all, to one degree or another, are dealing with the trauma. And I think the more kind of aware you are of the news, you realize that there are still ongoing aspects to this that are very challenging, you know, as as we were talking about this idea of distraction. You know, I'm working on my 11th book, and it has been markedly more difficult to write this book, partly because of the subject matter, but also partly because of the environment and the just worry that you have about family and friends and all the rest of that. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you and and I think we can make this segue, honestly, Tara, which is to say that if you have these distractions, if you have these concerns and we're trying to reach students in new ways, what does micro learning offer that other forms of educational models might not? What's the advantage? And sure. I guess first of all, what is it?
2: Right? So micro-learning itself is is small chunks of information at a time. And it's anywhere from two minutes to up to seven minutes um, of, of just of information. Delivery can be different. It can be in the form of a question or a video or even, like I mentioned, a cartoon. Uh, but the key is to not overwhelm the brain. But, uh, so just tiny bits of information over a period of time helps us remember things in a non-threatening environment. And then just varying the 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 way that it's delivered. Um, that would be micro learning. It sounds very simple. Um, but it's, you know, it's learning the letter a yesterday and today learning a and B. Okay. I got that. Right. And then tomorrow adding on C. Okay. Now I know a B, a, a B and C. And that's actually, was actually my approach post brain surgery was like, okay, I write myself a note. I get up at this time and now I drink coffee. Well, what is coffee? You know, and that's that, if I can learn when to get up and what I do in a small part of a routine, I could just build on that every day in a non-threatening, really low barrier approach to just remembering information, um, which does get, get challenging because we as a society are receiving so much information right now. So there's some goods and bads with that. We have the ability to search out an unlimited amount of information, which means we can go learn so many things right now. Like, after I hang up the phone, I can Google search almost anything that I want. I could become a brain surgeon, right? Not really, but I can learn a lot about it online. The problem is, uh, our attention span is decreasing. You know, we have about the attention span of about 15 seconds right now, based on that. And that is because we're overwhelmed and, and we're getting things simultaneously. So, there's a few things kind of going on that work for us and against us at the same time. Again, we could learn almost anything. And an endless amount of information is at our fingertips, but our brain starts forgetting critical things the more we try to stuff in it. And then our attention spans are shortening because of all this access of information, because of notifications and things, and just how quickly we can get to things through the digital age right now.
1: Well, I think it's been really fascinating to watch educators, and I would include Drip7 in that. Thank you. To watch educators figure out how to reframe the learning process. Yes. One of the examples I've run across myself is that my family has been doing one of these weight loss competitions, you know, kind of a pre-holiday, post-pandemic, oh my God, (laughs) what did we do to ourselves kind of thing. And actually, the service that I've chosen to use, and interestingly, we've all chosen different tools to help us do that. Uh, But I decided I would give this service called try, And it's gotten a fair fair amount of attention and so forth. And they use that micro learning. It's seven to nine minutes of lessons each morning built around the psychology of food. And each segment is one to two minutes. And so it, it really does exactly what you're describing it. It breaks it down into, you know, bite-sized pieces, if you will. Snackable <laughs> <you> really... <laughs>
2: chunks. Yeah, it all really back <laughs> to right. the, the end right. of the day.
1: <laughs> and, and I personally, and I know that there are many different learning styles out there, but I will say that it has worked very well for me, you know, that particular approach to education.
2: Wonderful. I have been wanting to try that out. So thank you. That seems like something that would work for me. It sounds really interesting. Um, along the same lines I'm using an app geared towards uh, broad-based knowledge called Headway. So it's similar to Audible, but it it takes uh, different topics like success, uh, health, family life, wealth creation, and it gives you badges so you, you can create these challenges for yourself. But then it lines up summaries of books in just a few minutes every single day. So I could get a summary on, uh, you know, if I want to be more successful in work, it could be how to win friends and influence people, how to communicate with anyone. And it gives me just the highlights of those books every single day. But, it, you know, it it does give me a star. So I feel very good and accomplished. It's it's kind of like, gosh, I can't remember the name of the colonel's name. All of a sudden, Colonel McRaven, who, who says to make your bed every day, that small sense of accomplishment every single day can kind of you know, put you on the right track. For you the entire day. And at the very worst, if you come home, you have a made bed that helps you rest better at night. Uh, But the headway is very similar too. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're all overwhelmed and there's a lot of fear out there um, right now specifically. Lots going on. But if we can have a small sense of accomplishment every single day, give us a little bit that we can build on. Uh, It's not uncommon if I'm reading how to win friends and influence people. Yes. My five minutes is up, but I'm still interested. I still want more. So I can keep listening to other things, cruise through some other topics. Um, and then maybe if I, if I really want to dig in, I can get the book on audio, audible if I want to expand, but now all of a sudden I'm reading again, I'm getting good information in, I'm feeling accomplished. You're losing weight or eating healthier. You're accomplishing goals in that department, which makes it easier to keep going. And, and so this is the same, the same thing geared around kids I and cybersecurity see. and, uh you know just making them the stewards of data you know they can defend their schools and their data and it gives them some some mission you know they're mission driven it can make it fun and interesting for them that's the goal and i think there needs to be a lot more of that Uh, i would really i think i would be better in math if math was delivered the same way Mm -hmm. um you know you heard me say i came from banking great in banking not so great in algebra so so yeah if you could do that for algebra that would be a perfect world in my opinion
0: Well, and what I I appreciate about this conversation is that we're recognizing that we have limited time in our days. And if we spend that time, that limited time in improving ourselves rather than in doom scrolling Facebook or whatever, those feelings that we talked about earlier around the pandemic and around whatever's going on, um, they don't have to be as strong. And so the since we're sharing apps, I guess I'll share the app that <laughs> I recently started using, uh, which is Readwise. Uh, so Readwise.io. And I I signed up for it a long time ago, used it for a couple months and then ignored it and then signed up for it again recently because of a new feature that they enabled. And it was something that I've been trying to do uh, to get all my notes in one place. And so I went back in there and I saw that I've had uh, 4,200 highlights made in the books that I've read since I first started using it. And then this brings those notes to my remembrance uh, each day, six at a time, pretty low barrier to entry, very short amount of time to review. But in the first two days, I got five additional quotes for the book that I'm currently writing that totally match what I'm trying to say, but then say it so much better than I do. And, and instead of, you know, hopping on Instagram, I'm going into Readwise and reviewing what I've highlighted before. And that kind of little small improvements really does help and makes me feel better because I'm not thinking about all the awful stuff that's going on in the world.
2: Right. Right. Absolutely. That's something that I'm going to get. Um, and you kind of hit on a, a key point and I don't know if this was something that changed in a new version too, but maybe some notifications headway for me has notifications that I don't know if it can see what I'm doing, if it can, but it will say, Hey, get off of social media and read a book instead. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, you're right. I should do that. Um,
0: on to me so I don't talk know. about privacy invasion, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. And I actually really don't think it does because no, it's I'm not, sure it not. doesn't really correlate. <laughs> um, but you're right. At first I, I actually was on Instagram and went, Oh yeah. Look, how much can they see? And then, and then yeah, after that, I went, okay, they, they just, drip me with notifications yeah. like they every just know day. everybody's
0: on instagram
1: so well, i was gonna say right <laughs> but that, that that actually is a learning moment because if it's doing a randomized reminder and it catches you on social media a bunch of times <laughs> that's your clue right there <laughs>
2: that's right yeah in fact i think i might have just got one and i'm not on social media but i did get one Uh, No, you're
1: doing something proactive (laughs) and education forward right now, Tara. (laughs) Thank
2: you very much. uh, I will let them know.
1: (laughs) We certainly appreciate all of the time and and information that you've provided as part of this podcast. So thank you very much for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It It's been a ton of fun.
1: Excellent. I would like to wrap up then this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, education, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology.
0: You can find the Cybertraps podcast in all your favorite apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends And reach out to us if you have a topic or guest suggestion. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cyber If you're still listening, you must have loved this episode. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast player. And we thank you for being here and we'll see you on our next live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals that's ixl.com/be